Hey, this is Dave, just recording a quick note before the start of this week's episode. This podcast was recorded a while ago, but it's coming out now with some strange timing. Uh, Stan Lee just died, and I don't think there's anything that I'm going to say about him that hasn't already been said much better already, but I did just want to take a quick moment to acknowledge that the work and the company that he created were very important to me when I was growing up and still as an adult, and he will be missed. So that being said, enjoy this week's episode about Iron Man. Excelsior! This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello, and welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late, they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never, the movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by my friend Brian, and we're discussing a movie he's never seen before, Iron Man. From 2008. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. So, Brian, you've never seen Iron Man. That's right. Why? You know, I, I don't know. I, For one thing, um, I'm just not that into comic book movies in general. Um, to be honest with you, I usually fall asleep during the climax um it, like huh. if i see them in theaters because it's usually a lot of sort of sweeping classical music and no dialogue and i i don't know i just tend to find them a little bit boring and i don't know hmm. uh i should also probably throw out for the uh, audience at home that this is going to be our first attempt at recording an episode over the internet so we're doing this via Skype. If there are any issues with uh, laggy conversation or bad audio, you can blame that entirely on, well, me, and also on the Skype call and company. So, yeah, blame them. Blame them. But um, getting back to the conversation, so what comic book movies have you seen before? Like, what are you making this judgment based on? Um, well... Hold on, wait, wait. Have you seen any other Marvel films? <laughs> sorry what what falls into marvel films i mean the marvel cinematic universe so in the wake of iron man you've got thor captain america no nope, avengers no nope, nope. black panther i have seen black panther i did fall asleep during the climax 
but I really, wow. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, you was, enjoyed the movie or falling asleep during the movie? Um, I enjoyed the movie. I usually feel really guilty about falling asleep, and I try to fight it as hard as I can, but that generally makes it worse. I was even in one of those um, like rumble seats that moves around to the action during Black Panther, and I still managed to fall asleep. Uh, oh my god! In, in my in my twenty five dollar fancy movie chair. Um, <laughs> Well, you could be like me where um, if I'm ever in a moving vehicle, something about the vibration makes me fall asleep right away. So Mm -hmm. it could be that it made it worse for you. It it could be. It could be. I think it's I think it's the combination of the the darkness and the air conditioning. And like I said, the the classical music, especially John Williams. John Williams really does it for me. Oh my god, the gr- the greatest <laughs> composer in cinema history knocks you out? It, uh, yeah, I guess so. Oh my god, okay. Well, um, alright, so it sounds like you haven't seen much Marvel, but let's look pre-Marvel, like, okay, the X-Men movies? Yeah, okay, I've seen a couple of those. Um, I saw the first one, and I saw... So, or uh, Wolverine Origins, X Men Origins, Ugh. Wolverine, uh, and I saw First Class as well. Um, oh, that one's good. That's that's the good one in my yeah. opinion. Um, did you see Spider Man? I mean, well, okay, there's like a dozen Spider Mans. Did you see the that first wave of Spider Man with Tobey Maguire? I saw the first of those. Yeah, the the upside down kiss one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you like that one? I or did you fall so. asleep? I probably fell asleep, but I I think that I liked it. Um, okay, I should uh, say. Did that you see the? Yeah, I I should say that the that the Christopher Nolan Batman films stand apart from this for me. I know I uh, spoke generically about comic books, but those those are some of my favorite films. Um, so comic book films, oh, yeah. notwithstanding those. Yeah, and point of fact, we're recording this episode on the 10th anniversary of the premiere of The Dark Knight. So, auspicious day. Indeed. Okay, well, interesting. So, not really a comic book movie guy, it seems. Although it sounds like you're not like opposed to them. It's just not really your style. Yeah, I, uh, I'm more... Um you know, just sort of, uh, apathetic toward them. Like right. if I, if I know that something is coming out, it just doesn't really excite me. I tend to go more for dramas or comedies or documentaries. Sure. Well, what about comics in general? Did you read comics? Were you into them? Did you watch any of those early nineties comics cartoons like X-Men or Spider-Man? I didn't. And maybe, maybe that's part of it. They were never really a part of my childhood. Um, I never, never read comics growing up briefly in my later teens and early twenties. I was into a few graphic novels, um, like the hundred bullets and, uh, preacher. Um, Mm. but, uh, yeah, the, the sort of classic, classic comics I never got into. Huh. Okay. Um, so I guess that would, um, mean that iron man is not someone who you're particularly familiar with as a character no i've i've never 
sort of encountered him in another in another medium. Right. I mean, so I am into comics. Uh, I was a little bit as a kid and weirdly got way more into them when I was in college. Uh, I just kind of went through this phase where I suddenly rediscovered my superhero comic love and got super invested in it for a while. But I was always kind of like at least a little bit into it, even as a kid. But um, Iron Man was never really a guy I was into. He, to be honest, before this movie, at, and maybe people will correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Iron Man was always kind of a B-lister. Like, he was sort of popular, but he was never really in that, like, top tier that, you know, your your Spider-Mans, your Fantastic Fours, your Batmans, your Supermans, hmm. even Hulk, I think, was probably a bigger property. I mean, he had some cult appeal, and I know he's popular. I, I know some rappers really like him. I think Ghostface Killa and hmm. uh, Raekwon are super into uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man, but... um never really that huge so i was always kind of surprised maybe not by the success of the movie because not to spoil anything brian but i think it's a pretty good movie but um by the subsequent popularity of the iron man character but then again the movie makes him pretty cool so again not to spoil anything but we'll get more into that uh in part two when we talk about the background to this a little bit so, um, going off the fact that you haven't seen this movie or much in the way of its uh, subsequent uh, children movies, how much has this film or the Marvel Universe been, like, hyped or built up to you? Oh, I mean, it's certainly seems to be huge. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're always sort of the the blockbuster films and, you know, the big events of the summer, usually. How many, so we've named a few characters, but how many Marvel characters can you name from the <laughs> movies? Like, how many of these movies do you think you, you can name? I've even said a few of them. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I'm probably going to embarrass myself and throw in some non-Marvel, non but, uh, I mean, we can give it a shot. You know, there's... You said there's Spider-Man, there's the yep. the X-Men, um, the uh, <laughs> Transformers is not part of Marvel, is it? Well, you're kind of getting into like some weird stuff. Th there is Transformers comic books, but I would not say they're real. They're not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, certainly. Okay. They're kind of their own thing. X-Men okay. 2, so you kind of immediately treaded onto this weird, like, legal business distinction, which is that there are some Marvel Comics characters and properties that have films, but are not part of the Marvel film universe, because other companies have the movie rights to them. We'll, we'll talk about that more later, but basically, X-Men have their own movies, but they're a little bit apart, but hmm. there's no reason why you necessarily would have known that. Interesting. Can you name anyone else? Um. Uh, all right. What about the? Uh, so, okay. There's Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> um. The Fantastic Four. No. Yep. They're yeah. they're like X Men. They're Marvel, but uh, in their own world. Okay. Uh, I believe the Avengers. Yeah. Uh, because that's sort of um 
as I understand it, the the latest film is sort of the culmination of these uh, of these Marvel Universe um, characters, the Infinity yep. War. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's about it. I, well, don't forget Black Panther. You just saw him. Oh yeah, yeah, Black Panther. Um, man, okay, Green Lantern. Comics character, but not Marvel. Okay, great. All right, well, all right. Well, don't worry about it. You you did a pretty good. You did a good job for a civilian for a non comics fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm a non commissioned uh, comic book. Right, I know they're. Nerd. Tons of fanboys who'd be like, oh my god, how could you believe that Green Lantern was part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? What an idiot. Yeah. His power ring wouldn't even work on Earth-616. Well, that that, that much is clear. (laughs) Yeah, that goes without saying, obviously. Um, Alright. Well, we're gonna watch this movie in a minute. Do you have any predictions? Like, what are you expecting? Um... I'm expecting some kind of a a backstory. I mean, I, I already know a few things about this guy, just sort of through osmosis. Tell me what you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me what. Tell me I, what you know. I believe he's a billionaire, or at least uber rich, and in sort of a similar way to Batman, I think he's a self-made superhero. I don't think he has special powers. I think that he derives right. his his power from his his money and his ingenuity. I know he's got a suit. I know that it allows him to fly. I'm assuming there are some weapons associated with it. Um, but I I really don't know like why he becomes Iron Man, who he fights, or why. So mm-hmm. I assume that part of this film uh, is going to be like a backstory, like. Right. Uh, if there's some inciting incident that inspires him to become a superhero, or if there's just some super evil force that uh, he he feels the need to 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 fight against. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's sort of what I'm expecting out of this. Uh, sort of the the rising backstory of this character. Okay. Do you know who's in it? In terms of actors. Yeah, it's uh, Robert Downey Jr., right? Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's it. I think he's the only the only character in the in the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a one-hander. It's really avant-garde. That's why the whole <laughs> world was so interested in it. It was just like this long monologue with him doing all the characters and everything like that. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's a like one-man off, show. off-Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. No, I, I literally could not name... Uh, a single other actor in it. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Who would you cast in Iron Man if you were trying to create a cinematic universe? Ozzy Osbourne, probably. You know, because of the song. Right. 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 Do you think the song shows up? It's. It must. Hmm. I. I'd be disappointed. I mean, you if would it think, didn't. right? Yeah. yeah. Like. Like, the first time he sort of busts out into the world, I assume. I mean, you got to build in, like, some speakers into that suit while you're at it, right? Oh, my God, of course. I mean, if you're <laughs> fighting bad guys, you got to be rocking out. Yeah, it's like the um, the song that, that baseball players come out to when they're yeah, the walk approaching up the plate. Yeah, it's like, this what is What would your walk-up song be? 
man, jizz in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Not very encouraging for a new pitcher coming out. (laughs) I, (laughs) I like to, I like to keep the, keep the, uh, opposing players on their toes. Yeah, no, that would definitely backfoot them a little bit. You're like, holy shit, what's going on? What is this? You're a superpower. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, any other predictions? I mean, do you have a sense of what this movie is going to be like? Um, I'm I'm guessing classic three act. (laughs) First act is him (laughs) as a as a normal Joe. Toward the end of that, there's some some tragic event then the middle part is him sort of building himself up and then the end culminates in some epic battle that i'll fall asleep to got it (laughs) all right all right i'm putting that down as one of your predictions that you're gonna fall asleep during the climax hopefully you know since this is uh, i'm gonna be watching this in the light of day um I'll, i'll keep myself well caffeinated and uh i'll try to stay awake Right on. All right, man. Well, uh, I think that's enough preamble. I think we should watch this movie. Let's do it. All right, dude. Catch you on the other side. All right. Mr. Stark, you've been called the Da Vinci of our time. What do you say to that? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't paint. What do you say to your other nickname, the Merchant of Death? That's not bad. They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I prefer the weapon you only need to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. To peace. Is it cool if I take a picture with you? Yes. It's very cool. I don't want to see this on your MySpace page. Please, no gang signs. No, throw it up. I'm kidding. assemble my missile. I should be dead already. Unless it was for a reason. I just finally know what I have to do. That doesn't look like a missile. What are you building, Stark? I'm working on something big. We're back. Iron Man. How'd you how'd you like it? 
It was good. It was good. I um, I enjoyed it. I did not fall asleep. Uh, good. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'd say that I enjoyed it more and more as the film went on. Which, oh, cool. Which I think is is a good thing. Um, I, I yeah, definitely. I didn't tire of it or anything like that. Um, yeah, I thought it was thought cool. it was really good. Awesome. Well, we'll get into it, but uh, first, I'm gonna begin with a little bit of background info. Okay. So, as we stated before, this is a Marvel movie. And the thing about Marvel is that prior to this movie coming out, it was not really the uh, movie-making juggernaut that it is today. So I'm going to take us through a little bit of history of Marvel and the uh, Marvel, or I guess comics films more generally, for a little bit. So speaking of Marvel as a uh, discreet comics company they did great through the 60s 70s 80s and even the early 90s they rode the popularity of you know a lot of characters that i'm sure you've heard of like spider-man fantastic four hulk Mm -hmm. x-men all those and uh in fact they were riding really high in the early 90s off of properties like the uh, Spider-Man and X-Men cartoons that were popular in the early 90s. Do you remember them? Um, I can't say that I do, no. Oh, my God, really? Well, they were fantastic. I spent many hours as a kid watching those. And uh, in terms of the actual comics themselves, the early 90s saw them putting out a lot of kind of edgy stuff like X-Force and uh, Cable and Deadpool, who maybe you've heard of recently. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, starting around 1993, the comics bubble kind of burst. Um, it was a combination of a lot of things. There was kind of uh, really stupid marketing and business tactics they were engaging in at the time, which I won't really get into. But it, there was also kind of a perception of low quality in comics. And this was not just Marvel. This was across the entire industry, so including others like DC. So, um, starting in the early 90s, comic sales began falling and eventually fell around 70%. Wow. And, in fact, you hit a point shortly after this where Marvel had to file for bankruptcy. They were doing so badly. Yeah. um, There was a really long court fight about the bankruptcy and it wasn't worked out until like the late nineties where they finally managed to reorganize themselves and start uh, rebuilding. But um, as part of this kind of flailing around trying to save themselves in 1995, Marvel set up Marvel studios in the hope that maybe making films could help them turn around their failing business. The thing is uh, superhero movies didn't have the greatest history before uh, the early 2000s anyway. So you, you've got positive outliers. So you've got Superman. Have you seen Superman, right. the original with Christopher Reeve? I have not. Oh my God, really? Well, that's going to be a stay tuned because we got to watch that at some point. <laughs> um, but that came out in 1978 and it had some sequels, but uh, <laughs> Superman 2 was good, but the others started getting pretty bad. And then you also had Batman in 1989. You've seen that one? Um, I, I, yes, I've seen a few of those, uh, those earlier Batmans, the, um, 
The George Clooney the Tim Batman. Burton one? Yeah. Wait, you've seen the George Clooney Batman? That's Batman Forever? That is Batman and Robin. With okay. uh, it also has Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Mr. Freeze. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But and wait, have, seen you, the have you... Michael Keaton? Yeah. Michael Keaton Batman. Okay, good. With the Joker? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, that, that I mean, that was a really successful movie. But that one, again, was in 1989. So already a few years in the, in the past by the time Marvel's trying to get going. Um, other than those sort of diamonds in the rough, there were a lot of failures. So you've got um, Howard the Duck in 1986, <laughs> which was an yeah. absolute catastrophe. There was a terrible Captain America movie in 1990, and um, you get a few shots at uh, kind of non-traditional superhero movies in the mid-90s, so stuff like The Shadow in 94, Judge Dredd in 95. Don't and, forget um, about Spawn. I was going to say there's also <laughs> Spawn in 1997, one of the worst films I think I've ever seen. Um <laughs> So wait, hold, easily, hold on a second. You easily haven't, John, yeah. John Leguizamo's best, though. Well, there's no arguing that. <laughs> but um, yeah. so you haven't seen Superman, but you have seen Spawn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. Um, well, anyway, fortunately though, things kind of started to change in the late '90s. Um, Blade comes out in 1998, and mm, that yeah. was a hit, and um, you know, not not a terrible film, and uh, I think it starts to kick off this trend where people start to think that hey, maybe comics movies can be successful again. And then in two thousand, you get X Men, the first X Men movie, really proved that these properties can produce blockbusters. Mm-hmm. So, um, following up on that, in two thousand and two, you get the first Spider Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. and um, things started rolling. So the funny thing is, though, is that X-Men and Spider-Man are both Marvel properties, but Marvel made next to no money off of the success of these enormous hits because Marvel had sold off the film rights to these characters to others. So even though these were Marvel characters... Uh, Marvel wasn't actually making that much off of the success of the movies. So, interesting. you know, you have these enormous hits, it's Marvel IP, but they're not seeing any money from it. So they decide, maybe we should try and get in on this. But, you know, they'd sold off kind of all of their biggest, most recognizable names, like Spider-Man, like the X-Men, Fantastic Four. It wasn't theirs to make movies with. Hmm. But, um... In 2005, they reacquired the rights to some other characters, but they were mostly kind of B-listers. So, you know, you get Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, all big names if you're into comics, but certainly not people with the kind of cultural cachet that your uh, Wolverines or Professor X's really have. Right. Much but, lower name recognition. Right, at least at the time. Mm-hmm. But they decide to go ahead with trying to make it. So for Iron Man, this movie had been in development hell since at least 1990. 
Uh, a lot of different companies had been trying to make a movie with it. And in fact, um, Tom Cruise had at one point been attached trying to uh, produce as well as star in it at one point. Wow. Which could have been interesting. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, but... Uh, the, the movie goes through like a hundred different iterations, lots of different writers, lots of different actors and directors attached. But eventually in 2006, they hired Jon Favreau to try and make Iron Man for them as the first kind of Marvel Studios Marvel film. And I think that leads us nicely into discussing the director of this movie, Jon Favreau. So uh, do you know Jon Favreau at all? You know, um, it's funny. I really only know him uh, as an actor, and right. the only thing that He's... I can place him in is uh, that movie PCU. Um, if you've ever seen that, it's uh, Jeremy. Piven. I have. Who is he in that? Yeah, he... I remember Jeremy Piven. Who is he in PCU? He plays this like I, I forget his name, but he like has these little dreads, and he's really fat. Um, he's just kind of one of like, he's just sort of one of the characters in this crazy, uh, house. Oh, all right. I don't remember that movie very well. Mostly just, uh, Jeremy Piven doing his Jeremy Piven thing. Yeah. Well, well, John Favreau, John Favreau is also an Iron Man. I don't know if you noticed him. He's I, I Happy did. Hogan. Yeah. I noticed him as, as one of the, one of the bodyguards. Yeah. He's his bodyguard and driver. Um, but uh, he's also a director. Um, prior to making this movie, he'd directed a movie called Made, which I'm not familiar with, but he'd also had a big hit in Elf. Oh, really? Yeah. The Will Ferrell and, movie? Yeah, the Will Ferrell movie. Wow. And um, another movie called Zathura, which I haven't seen, but I think that's kind of sort of a Jumanji-ish kind of movie, but in outer space. Hmm. Okay, I'm not familiar with it. I could be mixing that up with another film, but I, I think that's what it's about. But generally speaking, not, you know, the biggest name in the world to be directing this film. But I was surprised uh, they, to, to see it, to see him as the director, you, you know, not having heard of him as a director before or, right. or since. Right. Well, the thing is, though, I think he did an awesome job on this movie. What did you, what did you think of the directing of this film? Yeah, I thought I I definitely thought he did a good job. I would have thought it was a more more well-known like action director, you know. Right. Not not right. Michael Bay, but in, you know, at that sort of Someone level. on that level. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, what I like about this movie is that it's a very light film. It doesn't take itself too seriously the way a lot of comic book movies tend to do. It's light. It's fleet. It's funny. It is. Yeah. Um, I, I think the f lots of snark, right? Uh, but the funniness I think is a, a big part of the success of this movie. And, uh, it really stands out from films that had come before. So we mentioned in part one that this year is the 10 year anniversary of the dark Knight which uh, was a huge, huge hit, and rightly so. But The Dark Knight, as amazing as it is, is also a good example of a trend, both in comics and in comics movies, that's called grim and gritty, mm. where there's this sense that in order to be taken seriously, you have to be dark and violent. 
you know? Yeah. And there's something to that. You know, I love The Dark Knight. I think it's fantastic. But you can go too far in that direction, and then you get something like, you know, Batman versus Superman, where the whole thing is like... I mean, I know that film has its fans, but I consider that film to be a little too dour. Uh-huh. Haven't seen it myself. Oh, okay. Well, you're fine. But um, it's violent. Uh, Marvel, on the other hand, building largely off of the template created by this film, went in a different direction. So, as I said, this is the 10-year anniversary of The Dark Knight. This movie came out the same year. Uh, this is the 10th anniversary of the premiere of Iron Man as well this year. And while The Dark Knight came in with all of this hype, building off of not just Batman Begins and Batman as a character, but you know all the other surrounding hype around Heath Ledger's performance and Chris Nolan's rising star and everything... Iron Man, on the other hand, you know, like I said, Iron Man wasn't the biggest, most well-known character. Marvel didn't have a track history. This movie kind of came out of, not nowhere, but it was much more of a surprise that it was such a big hit. Hmm. I see. And it's very interesting that you have these two different visions for what comic book movies can be coming out side by side. You know, DC would continue to run with this darker, grittier version of what comic book movie should be to some success and some less success depending on what movie you're talking about marvel took this template that john favreau created of being light fun not taking itself too seriously which isn't to say that marvel movies are all like frothy fun without any gravitas but just not as dark and i think that um that works to their advantage yeah, I think I think uh, you'll probably get a wider audience that way. Like you know, even though this movie is somewhat violent, you know, I I could see this this style um, being more of like uh, family friendly, right? As opposed to like you know something. The Dark Knight is very sort of dark and vicious, you know, and right. that that type of uh, sort of psychopathic violence uh, is very different and in, in, in a very different direction, I think. Yeah. Appeals this, to a, a smaller audience, probably. I mean, you know, comics movies are action movies, so this movie has violence, but it's not brutal. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not visceral violence. You don't get, like, horrible neck snapping and, you, you know, the terrible right. breaking of bones. It's It's... A little more PG. Bullets and explosions, basic stuff. Right. Not a lot of blood. Yeah. 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 And, you know, funny. Charming. It, it sets Marvel apart a little bit. Definitely. And a little bit of romance and... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people criticize Marvel a little bit for having a formula that they stick to. And, you know, I guess they're... These movies are a little formulaic at this point, but it's a formula because it works. You know, it, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. talking about how funny and charming this movie is, I think that leads us nicely into discussing the cast, starting with Iron Man, Tony Stark himself, Robert Downey Jr. What did you think of him? I think he, I think he did a good job. He, um, you know, at, at the, at the beginning of the movie, I 
really sort of hated him, which I think really? was... Really? Yeah, I mean, he, and I think that was intentional, you know, it was... He was a little tropey, like the the rich, arrogant, misogynistic playboy who's sort of yeah. f- feared but adored at the same time. Um, uh-huh. You know, I think they they sort of had to build build that character a little bit um, so that he could have a change of heart. You know, after after his kidnap and everything, um, I think if he was more. Um, if he was at all more down to earth or softer at the beginning, it wouldn't have been, um, there wouldn't have been such a, a contrast. Um, right. It gave so, him the ability to have an arc, uh, you know, exactly. to grow as a character. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think, um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Did a good job of, of making that transition, um, subtly in the character um right he he grows but it doesn't feel like there's a a hard before he's one guy and then after he's a completely different person it's it's recognizably still tony stark before and after yeah just a little bit softer and a little kinder right a little more responsible yeah exactly yeah um i mean you didn't like him in terms of how he chose to live his life i guess but did you find him funny or charming at all um <laughs> not really i mean i, I interesting I, yeah i kind of uh i i i don't know i thought he was sort of um not very self-aware sure maybe you know he's just this this guy who um you know is clearly very intelligent but also you know, was born into this lifestyle and it doesn't seem to have any, um, qualms about being an arms manufacturer, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And we'll talk a little bit more about the implications of that later, but that's a good observation. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely comes across as someone who's lived in a bubble. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. I will say, though, that while I agree with you, for me, the first time, and I guess even this time watching it, despite the fact that he is like that in those early scenes, there is something so charming about him that you can't help but like him. And also, he's just hilarious. Like, the, he, the some of his lines are hysterical in those early scenes. And he he's just so smooth. You know, there's that line he gives to the reporter who he seduces where she's like, do you lose any sleep at night? And he's like, I'm prepared to lose a few hours with you. And I was just like, oh, great line. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, uh, I'll say, you know, it seems one thing that I noted, you know, in that sort of uh, in the first act, you know, with uh, with him as sort of the playboy is that the women around him just sort of melted into sex objects, like within like speaking a few sentences to him. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure you could make the same movie 10 years later where, where, you know, the, the, the flight attendants turn into strippers on on his (laughs) private jet, you know, after a couple bottles of sake and, you know, he's very, um, uh, 
it's sort of more more of the old style of like aggressive flirting with women that that just sort of like makes them cave against right seemingly against their initial will you know yeah it's not the only dated aspect of this movie i wrote a couple things down uh, among them the fact that one of the first lines in the movie uh he talks about someone's myspace page yeah you know i i i noted that but then i realized that was that even dated at the time i mean if it, it was 2008 like i think myspace was already on the outs by that point wasn't it I think so, but my memory is a little hazy. At once you get kind of like three to five years in the past, it all kind of starts running together for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that he was being purposely old fashioned in referencing hmm. something that was that was sort of already being being phased out. But I guess if Facebook only existed in two thousand four, so by 2008, it may not have totally overshadowed MySpace. Right. And you might be right about it being a purposefully dated joke, but I think it's funny that we're now at a point where even making such a purposefully dated joke would be dated because a lot of people wouldn't even understand what you were referring to. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, so talking about Robert Downey Jr. just as a person... Um, how well do you know the arc of his career? I don't really know it at all, actually. So prior to this movie, uh, Robert Downey Jr. at the start of his career was extremely well thought of. I mean, obviously he's very talented as an actor, but by the time you come around to this film, he was a pariah in Hollywood for several years he had had a severe drug addiction that cost him a lot of jobs. And by the time you get a little bit before 2008, he'd rendered himself basically unemployable just because of his uh, addiction issues. Yeah, he was really essentially blacklisted in Hollywood because of the jobs he'd lost and cost himself by having such a, you know, such serious drug problems. But... He figured himself out and started coming out of it, and he put in the work. And over time, prior to this, he'd started kind of doing smaller stuff and proving himself. He he made a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a little bit before this. That was pretty good. Have you seen that? No, no, I haven't. Oh well. Anyway, he he'd started rebuilding his career, but. When they were casting this, he was considered still to be an enormous risk. Hmm. Favreau wanted him, but Marvel didn't. They really, Favreau had to push really hard to get him as this guy. And while it's understandable that Marvel would be nervous given his prior history, it's so crazy to think that, you know, after this film, and especially with the way Marvel went in the years and movies after this, Robert Downey Jr. is arguably the biggest star in the world yeah certainly and he's completely identified with iron man like you can't recast this role after he departs you know certainly yeah i mean case in point is that i basically don't know him as anything else and nor had i heard of about his uh you know his issues or how controversial he was before this that you know he's sort of solidified as this this huge character 
in my mind, at least. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a major star now, but at the time of this movie, putting him in a film was considered a big, big roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it paid off because he is fantastic in it, and I think you can put a lot of the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this multi-billion dollar behemoth in world culture, on the back of Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. Like, he launched... A thousand careers basically with his performance in this and i think that's awesome yeah it's it's pretty cool well okay moving along we've got terrence howard as james rhodes yes yes what'd you think i think he, he did well um yeah he's all right can't say you know there's there's nothing really wasn't a major role i guess um Right. You know, nothing to complain about. Right. Yeah, he just kind of, like, does his job. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. I will say, and I'll probably be doing this for you at a bunch of points just because you don't know comics as well, but um, part of why he's in this is because James Rhodes, the character, is also a Marvel superhero, even though they didn't have plans to launch you know, more films. They didn't know this movie was going to work out. So nowadays you have Marvel movies, like every film is part of this planned process. So they're constantly like putting in groundwork for other films. But Mm. when this one came out, you know, they didn't know any of this was going to happen. And yet they still find time to lay a little bit of groundwork. James Rhodes is a character called War Machine, who is a, basically he's Black Iron Man. He, he's black both as a character and his oh. Iron Man suit is black. You know, I caught... Have you seen that around? I, I haven't, but I there I did notice what seemed to be some some fairly blatant foreshadowing where he right. he's in he's in the the mansion and looks at the suit and says uh, next time, baby, or next time something you know, and ends up going for the next car time, instead. baby. Instead of the suit, yeah. I was like, okay, seed planted. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Well, that's exactly what's going on there. So, just uh, for future reference, if you continue watching these movies, although if you decide to continue watching these movies, uh, this is the end of Terrence Howard as this character. In the next film, he is replaced by, um, oh God. What's his name from uh, Ocean's Eleven and Picket Fences? Don Cheadle. He gets replaced oh, by Don Cheadle. Interesting. He's got a very different energy. Yeah. It's, uh, I wonder why they made that choice. Um, it was a business decision. I I am not positive, but I think it's because Terrence Howard was uh, a being difficult and b asking for too much money. Oh. Okay. Along the lines of what I told you about Robert Downey Jr., uh, unless I'm mistaken, Terrence Howard is actually the highest paid actor on this film. Wow. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr., they didn't pay him a lot because he he was lucky just to get the role at all. Sure. You know, they they I mean, he can ask for whatever he wants now, but at the time they were kind of like, we're taking a risk on you, you'll take what we offer. Mm-hmm. Terrence Howard was coming off of like Hustle and Flow and all this other stuff, so he was arguably the bigger star mm. well bigger than robert downey jr maybe not bigger than some of the other people we're about to talk about such as jeff bridges as obadiah stain oh jeff i love jeff bridges he's one of my one of my favorite actors yeah i yeah i was and surprised brings, to see him oh, I, I 
as as we mentioned before, I had no idea who who else was in this, so I was pleasantly surprised to see him. Yeah, yeah, and he does a lot with kind of a small character, brings a lot of menace. Yeah, certainly, and hides it well at the beginning. Although it was funny, there are hints. It, you know, well. He's bald with a beard, which is, you know, classic right. villainy. <laughs> right. And he also, um, he's a businessman who has a cigar and a big ring. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Never and, a good sign. And uh, in that, um, the sort of convenient awards presentation backstory um, at the at the very beginning, you know, it was sort of clear. Like, oh yeah, he <laughs> he was in charge of Stark Industries until Tony Stark came in, and then, you know, he was kind of kicked to the side. He was like, oh, okay, I'm sure he doesn't resent him for that at all. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, he's good. I'm kind of sad he got killed off, because it would have been cool if uh, we still had Jeff Bridges kicking around in these Marvel movies. Yeah. It, oh, well. It would have. And I, I think I started to get really more invested when he turned evil or when it was when his plan was was revealed um oh I, yeah he gets way more I interesting enjoyed that part of the yeah i enjoyed that yeah. part of the film a lot all right well next up we got gwyneth paltrow as pepper pepper Potts. nice alliterative comic book character name yeah, well, you get that a lot in Marvel. That was uh, Stan Lee, especially, liked giving people alliterative names. So that's why you get, like, Peter Parker and, mm. uh, God, whoever the hell else. It's like everybody in Marvel. Bruce Banner. <laughs> they all have alliterative names. But um, Speaking of yeah, Stan Pepper Lee, Potts, real quick, the, yeah. uh, the cameo, that was him as Hugh Hefner, right? Yeah, well, I don't think he's Hugh Hefner, I think. Tony Stark just calls him that. Oh, okay. It seemed like he was playing. Maybe. He, I mean, he was surrounded by young blonde women and wearing a smoking jacket. Well, yeah, but that's just Stan Lee, buddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, among other things in the uh, Marvel template, this is the first of what will be 10,000 Stan Lee cameos. It's kind of like it's on the checklist. Right, Along right. with, like, Stinger scene bad guy who's not as interesting as the good guy and Stan Lee cameo. Those are all, those are all in in every Marvel movie more or less. Yeah. But what'd you think of Gwyneth? Yeah, I thought she, I thought she did a good job. Um, you know, she's sort of, uh, the, the, the will they, won't they tension, you know, I think she did, she did a good job with that. Um, gotta say i don't like her as a redhead um it threw me off um a little bit but that's sort of neither here nor there um right but yeah you know i I think the character especially in this movie is a little thinly drawn but uh, Mm -hmm. i think she does a very good job with what she's given yeah and i mean i'm also kind of on the record as being a big gwyneth paltrow fan so that might be coloring my judgment, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like her in general as an actress. I especially yeah. like the the scene where she has to um, replace his power module or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, in his chest. Oh, yeah, in his heart. I know that is a good scene. 
sort of like nicely comedic. Yeah, they have good chemistry. Some tension there, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, lastly, I just want to toss out, you got uh, Paul Bettany's Jarvis, the voice of his, well, the voice of his house, but also just his <laughs> AI assistant in general. Who, who, who are always British for some reason. Yeah, but I mean, it works. Yeah. If yeah. It's, it's futuristic, um, it's got to be British. British exactly. Yeah. Um, there's one other actor that I want to talk about, but we'll get to him as we get into the plot, I think, because that will be a good spot to talk about him, um, which is uh, Sean Taub or Taub as Jensen. But I want to talk about him more when we get up to his part. Um, but for now, let's get into the plot of this movie. So in terms of your predictions, you were correct. There is an origin story. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. And it's like you said, it does provide him with a pretty well-defined before and after where, as you predicted, he is a an uber-rich billionaire who is kind of irresponsible and thoughtless before, but then is given a reason to have his eyes opened and start acting a little bit more responsibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like I like him a lot at the start. He's He's very charming, and I just... I love that opening scene where he's just riffing with the soldiers. I think it establishes his character very well right off the bat. I do as even that if he's, as well. yeah, yeah, even if he's revealed to be a bit of a jerk later in the flashback or kind of like you know two days earlier scene. That that opening part, he's very very charming and it puts you on his side right away. Yeah, that did a, that did a good job of sort of establishing him as a a powerful guy who's sort of. Um, has a sense of humor and is not too, um, well, I don't know. He was, you know, he was kind of cutting it up with the soldiers and stuff and seemed to want to humor them a little bit. He's a man of the people. Yeah. 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 Um, and of course he's seductive. He gets that amazing seduction of the, uh, reporter, even while she's pointing out Mm -hmm. what a dick he is. Um, (laughs) yeah. And also cues up, Pepper Potts for an amazing line when she says, "Occasionally, I take out his trash." <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I thought she was being being literal, but that's uh, that's pretty funny. Also, he has an amazing house. Yeah, I assume that was CG and not a real giant cliffside house, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if it's real. I It looks CG, but given the way some houses are out there, it wouldn't shock me if either it was real or if there was houses that were equally, if not more, ridiculous and amazing out there. Yeah, you never know. Those, those billionaires. God, I want that house. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you hit on it that in these early scenes, we get the fact that our hero is an arms dealer and a war profiteer. And I think the fact that the movie wrestles with that is surprising. It's not often that a movie will touch on an issue like that. And granted, they don't get too deep with it, but it's sort of a complicated flaw. Yeah, definitely. And I I think it had some sort of implications for like the u.s as a whole you know right as you know because he 
he sort of takes on this role as being almost patriotic, you know, in his in his support of of the military and things that the the U.S. government is doing abroad. Yep. So it's sort of like was was an interesting commentary on like maybe the naivete of you know all things uh, warmongering being good you know for the for the sake of freedom or right right or our american values yeah and i also noted kind of in my dated section the fact that the early action is in afghanistan and the bad guys are taliban rebels yeah at least in terms of the way they're presented yeah that that's sort of that certainly was apparent like when this was made you know it's definitely the right bin Laden because you know that this was made in 2008 and you know we're not in Afghanistan anymore now that it's 2018 sure yeah that that war is over sure oh wait a minute no that war is still going on it's just that the idea that we would pay attention to it is what's dated yeah right that's that's, yeah that's right there we go. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. My mistake. We just we just forgot about that one. Right. Um, there is another Easter egg mixed in with this uh, rebel group, though, uh, just to explain it to you in case you find it interesting. The group is called the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. A traditional Iron Man villain is this guy called the Mandarin, and his deal is that he has ten magic rings each one on each finger and on each thumb and each one grants him kind of a different power that he uses to fight Superman. So the fact that they were the 10 rings was like a subtle nod to the fact that this group may or may not be uh, funded behind the scenes by an Iron Man villain who may come back later. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, I didn't know very much about Iron Man at the time. So that was way over my head when I saw it, but I read about it afterwards. Um, but anyway, so upon Tony Stark's capture, we get the character of Yinsen arriving. And I like this character a lot. I think he's well-played and very interesting, but uh, I wonder just how much it matters. He falls into a bit of this trope of being the often non-white character who serves as the voice of a white hero's conscience often before getting killed off. Hmm. Okay. I didn't know that was and a it, trope. It was very specific. Oh yeah. It's definitely a trope that, uh, you get white male superheroes who are spurred to action by the death of either a woman or mm-hmm. some, someone else. Often it's a woman. In that case, the trope is called fridging where uh, a hero's wife or girlfriend is killed in order to uh, create emotional stakes for the hero. But it also happens when, like, you know, the black friend or a non-white friend or person who he's met who's less fortunate dies or serves to open his eyes and spur him to action. So as much as I like the character, I couldn't help but notice it this time that he falls so squarely into this kind of trope, you know? Yeah, certainly. Hmm. Do you know why it's called fridging? Yes. It refers to uh, a Green Lantern comic 
that is often held up as kind of the uber example of this tendency. Green Lantern has this girlfriend who is murdered by a Green Lantern villain of, you know, some sort. And then the villain stuffs her body into his refrigerator, and that's where he discovers it. He opens the fridge and sees her body shoved in there. Okay. And so fridging since then come to be the overarching term for this tendency to do that. It's literally, literally from a fridge. Literally from fridge, yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, so we get the plot moving along. Iron Man finally becomes Iron Man. He creates his suit. You were right. It has weapons and it can fly. <laughs> yeah, it sure can. That it, you know, I found that that initial suit. So I didn't, I didn't anticipate that he would build like this prototypey suit first. Um, and it just made me wonder, like. At what point does he hatch this plan? Like, it seemed pretty damn fast that he was, like, tasked with building the Jericho missile and then, like, was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to build a suit and fly out of here. Like, no no problem. He just kind of, like, makes that decision to, like, switch the project immediately, um, which makes me wonder if this was something that he had already been sort of planning or is he just that much of a genius and an engineer that he could just kind of do Mm. that instantly. I think if I had to guess, I would say it's the latter that he's just that much of a genius. Yeah. I mean, he knows that once he builds that missile, he's dead, right? They're just going to kill him once they have what they want. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So So what else is he going to do? Right. I guess. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I guess there was, it was funny because, what was ever the plan for the guy who was helping him? You know, like he he has this this suit for himself, and then the guy just sort of escapes the cave behind him. Yeah, I think that's the best he could have hoped for. <laughs> yeah, he was never getting out of there. <laughs> no, no, that was that was never in the cards. Um, a fun thing about that though is that so the prototype, the early first suit, it's big and clunky. And not that awesome compared to the later one, but its design is reflective of the very first Iron Man design when he first arrived as a comics character. Oh, okay. That's kind of what he looked like. And then as things went on, he got like sleeker and cooler and wound up looking awesome as he does later in the film. Oh, so it it was originally more of like a clunky iron suit. Yeah, he was more of an Iron Man. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, so many nods to the past. I know. It's it's chock full of these little nods. So we get him coming home, and he's had his eyes opened. He decides to stop selling weapons, and uh, Jeff Bridges loses his shit, which is around the point where I wrote down my I fucking love Jeff Bridges note. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then down. we come to, <laughs> yeah, we get to my favorite part of the movie, which is, I guess, a combination of two scenes. The first is his building the suit montage. Mm-hmm. I think that's really fun. You get his uh, his silly robot friend who's constantly uh, fire extinguishing him. Yeah, that was that was sort of a nice montage with some comic moments of the, you know, 
sort of not realizing the capabilities of his suit, getting hurt, breaking stuff, getting uh, right, getting help from the from the robots and stuff. Yeah, that was a good sequence. Showing, yeah, it shows he's not just like figuring it all out immediately. He actually has to do a little bit of work for it. Yeah, but it's um, it is kind of astounding his capabilities, like just his. his his ability to like build so much of this stuff by hand um, was kind of incredible. I don't know if there's more, is there more background on like his training? Like he, you know, it seems like to, to be able to do all this, he would have had to, had to have technical training for like decades. Well, the, the early part of the movie where they're going over his life mentions how he's like a prodigy and he graduated from MIT at like 16 or whatever okay. and has been running this company for however long and is like the source of all of its technological innovations. Okay, I see. Um, so that's where they establish in the film. Generally speaking, it, it's more just the fact that that's his superpower, you know, it's not mm. that he's super strong or super fast. It's that his brain is so awesome. It allows him to design and then actually create these devices, you know, which which has allowed him to become a billionaire as well. Well, I guess he inherited it, but it's allowed him to continue. Right. Continue that legacy as a he's made himself richer. Yeah. But part of his superpower is much like Batman. The fact that he's rich. Yeah. It'd be funny to see an Iron Man character who's that gifted but is stuck like we are in horrible middle-class jobs where you have to go to work every day and don't have the time or resources to make any of these things happen. That would make for a very sad movie. <laughs> it sure would. I don't, I don't think many people would uh, enjoy that level of watch that. non-escapism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe Lars Van Trier can make that film at some point. But um, actually, you know, some later Marvel films and other comics properties have looked into that idea of the less fortunate um, dark mirror of the uh, Batman and Iron Man style of superhero. Hmm. So, so a little more, a little more realistic limitations. Quote unquote realistic. Yeah. Yeah. But that leads into hands down my favorite scene in the movie, which is his first flight when he finally takes off. I think even all these years after having seen it for the first time and having seen it more than once, I just I think the scene has a lot of power. You know, it's just it's it's so exciting and it's so joyful, you know, that moment where he's flying, you know, yeah, definitely. And it's very intriguing, too, because you you sort of don't get a full window into the capabilities of the suit up until that point where he's like flying and like almost imperceptibly, imperceptibly like scanning things and sort of receiving all this information, you know, about the things that he's flying over. And it's like, you know, really shows you like how incredible this this creation is is. Right. And also, you know, while you've seen the improvements to the device, nothing has suggested until this moment just how capable it is. Yeah. You know, and then you finally take off. 
Yeah, but it also it, it also does a good job of illustrating that it is not without flaw, um, and that, yeah. and that his um, uh, arrogance, you know, is is a flaw of it as well because he chooses to go, you know, ultra high to an ultra high altitude and you know almost dies because of it. So you get in that scene, you get both a, a picture into how powerful it is, but also that he's still, you know, a flawed human being inside this, you know, imperfect creation of his. Yeah, his hubris is constantly coming back to bite him. It's funny, too, and I never really thought about it this way until this moment. It's a literal Icarus situation where it's him flying too close to not the sun, but rather the moon. And rather than uh, his wings melting, his suit gets too cold and turns <laughs> he gets up. Frozen, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but um, and also don't forget he has another similar moment of not thinking things through when he tries to land on his ceiling. Oh uh, yeah, or on the on the roof. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, that was a laugh out loud moment for me when he crashes into the into his car and then and then again the uh call back to the fire extinguisher robot yep and i have to give that fire extinguisher robot props for having great comic timing because it doesn't do it immediately it <laughs> right. gives it a beat gives it a beat where that decision point you know where you think he's right. gonna think oh he's not on fire but goes for it anyway oh what a brilliant robot i wish i had a robot like that um <laughs> i will say uh this scene constantly brings to mind for me a debate that I have in my mind all the time, which is do you prefer the Iron Man jet boots or the Boba Fett jet pack? If you could have a device that lets you fly, what do you want? The backpack or the boots? Um, I would, I would have to go jet pack just because the, the boots seem uh, more difficult to control. Like you have your two legs that can move independently, so it seems like it would be a lot easier to crash. Whereas the pack mm. is just sort of like a unit where you just kind of point yourself in the right direction. You know that first scene where he's trying he's trying out the boots at ten percent, and he like flips himself backwards into the wall. Uh, it seems to me like you would get a lot more of that out of boots than you would out of a out of a jetpack. Hmm. I don't know. What's what's your what's your preference? I think I lean boots, but your points are well taken. My the boots for me though feel like they would permit a little bit more flexibility in what you're able to do. Like the jetpack feels like your flying would be slightly more not clumsy, but uh, limited in terms of your agility and uh, ability to, well, I guess it is just agility. The boots seem like they would be diff- more difficult to control, but offer you a few more options in terms of your movement. Yeah, I guess the fact that they're that you can move them independently has both advantages and disadvantages. That you can probably make a lot more micro-controlled movements um, once you're able to sort of get a handle on them with the boots then then you could the jetpack uh, as being more that that's more like a large movement you're just kind of yeah moving yourself in one direction whereas the boots yeah you could probably make like smaller adjustments and be more precise 
once you get them under control. Yeah. It seems uh, the boots, I guess, require the hands as the uh, stabilizers. Yeah, yeah. But I'm okay with that. Um, well, and then you get the added they, bonus of them as the hands as a weapon. Right, which is pretty cool. But, you know, again, the jetpack does not bring the danger of your feet get pointed in the wrong direction and you rip yourself in half from the groin up. So, you know. Whoa, what is that? I think uh, that was a low-flying airplane. There's a small regional airport near here, so we have to get private planes and stuff flying pretty low i see i i actually i think it's much more much louder to you than to me it didn't oh interesting didn't strike me as very loud but the mic must have picked it up yeah yeah all right so after he establishes that the suit can fly we get our uh first big action scene after a big uh, suiting up moment where he gets everything put on and it's like screwed into place and it's like ready that was pretty cool such like yeah. there was a real real attention to detail there where there's like sort of a thousand different micro movements to to put the suit on i thought that was pretty cool totally and even though as the movies go on the suiting up process becomes ever more streamlined. They continue having a certain level of attention to detail with paying attention to all of these parts, having to move and kind of establish where they are in place before he can get going, you know? Yeah. I like that. But, uh, once he's suited up, he takes off and, uh, he goes into battle. We get, um, one of the best superhero landings ever. I think the, the tri stance, is it yeah, the, where he hits the one knee, the hand, the fist down. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that Every superhero one. has to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a particularly good one. He also does that thing. You mentioned the Lonely Island earlier. I think my Lonely Island walk up song might be the song. Cool guys. Don't look at explosions. Oh, I noticed that. Yeah. The, the walking away from explosion and, the the mask looked particularly badass in that scene like when he sort of turns and the eyes are all lit up and you know the explosion is happening behind him that really solidified his uh his badassitude absolutely yeah that's that's the moment where he really became a hero when he blew up that tank <laughs> yeah but i also like the fact that um his real kind of awesome hero act during the course of this scene comes later where he saves someone. He's in this situation where the guy's chute doesn't open and he has to actually rescue somebody. And that's kind of like the hardest thing he winds up having to do. Hard in what way? In that... Like technically hard or... Just the amount of effort it requires him to invest. Like, he, the fighting doesn't seem like it costs him that much sweat. You know, he just kind of flies in, takes everyone out, and flies out. The saving the falling airmen, he actually has to, like, race and fight. And, well, uh, in terms of, like, the amount of effort, he has he has to struggle to reach him. It's, it's like, the most difficult part of that whole mission. Yeah. But I think it really showed his commitment to being a good guy you know because if he had let that guy go down 
he he would have been, you know, would have been not letting wouldn't letting have been a hero. Innocent people die. Yeah, wouldn't have been a hero. Yeah. I also like that he can take calls while he's fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He's he has Bluetooth in his suit or whatever, which which was funny. Uh, so we spoke about sort of blasts from the past or things that that make this film dated. There was one much earlier um, related to him taking calls, but he has like a video phone, you know, with like the flip screen with video capabilities, but it still has physical buttons. Yep. (laughs) It still has the, the, just the, the number pad, which I thought was, was funny. They couldn't conceive of a touchscreen back then, I guess. Right, and also there's the fact that, like, this phone that I imagine is a symbol in 2008 of how rich and high-tech he is, now we have something better than that in, like, everybody's pocket. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, were we talking about the idea of going into battle with, like, music blaring? Mm -hmm. He clearly has that ability. If he can take calls, he should have queued up some, uh, some death metal to go into battle with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, although, you know, there is there is some metal, or at least, like, hard rock underscoring uh, so many of these action sequences. And it made me wonder if, if the same movie was made now, or at least a few years ago, would that... That probably would be, like, dubstep, you know, or, like, some, <laughs> some kind of, like, electronic music, whereas back then it was like, yeah, you know, this this like rock you know this hard rock music i think it it would have been definitely electronic music now and also it's probably stylistically fed in by the aussie song which you do get over the closing credits thank god yeah. <laughs> perfectly timed i not to get ahead of ourselves but you know oh yeah he says it, it, i am it comes iron in man a- yeah, it was perfect. Oh, such a great line. We'll get to that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Obadiah Stane revealing his true colors when he goes to that camp. First of all, that weapon he uses, that sonic weapon, seems so horrible. Oh, I know. And the the sort of like blue veins that, that pop out over, over the people's faces, it looks uh, incredibly painful. Yeah. Oh, God. Every time I see this movie, I have that thought. But it's also interesting that this movie, Marvel started getting a tendency to do this a little too much, I think, but it's effective in this film where you get the villain switcheroo, Mm -hmm. where one guy is established as probably being the main bad guy, and then another bad guy takes him out and replaces him as the final boss. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So just a a little element of surprise there in right. the plot. And again, I think Marvel, particularly the Marvel television shows, started to rely on that too much as like a twist, but uh, in this film, I think it works pretty well just as a, a surprise. Because even though you know Jeff Bridges is bad, the idea that he's actually going to be the final boss, I think comes as a bit of a surprise in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a surprise to me, for sure. Uh, Although, then, I, I, uh, I was having a little... Uh, I was a, It was a little unclear to me what, like, the Ten Rings motivation was. 
they just want lots of weapons so they can get power, I guess. But it was it was kind of unclear. Um, yeah. So maybe they didn't yeah, bother I developing guess. them, you know, since they're not actually the true, the true villain. Yeah, true, true, true. I mean, because there are kind of like a local warlord group, the fact that they just wanted arms made plenty of sense. But you are correct in that the uh, the guy's outsized ambitions seemed a little strange. Like, you know, th- this concept that um, once I have a Stark missile I'll and then later on once Asia, I have... Is what he said, I Right. Think. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that seems a little far-fetched, buddy. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's not the biggest plot hole in the world. Mm-hmm. I can roll with it. Um, so, Tony Stark, with little help from his robot friend, puts his, uh, his backup uh, chest uh, arc reactor into mm-hmm. his chest, and we get our final fight. Um, your earlier comment about how you always fall asleep during the climaxes of these things. Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you're probably right, right? Like the thing with Marvel movies is that the third act fight is usually the least interesting part of these films. Yeah. What did you think of this one? I, I, I knew I was right. I knew I was falling asleep for a good reason. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it was, uh, Robot on robot. I don't know. I, I thought it was okay. Um, there were there were a couple of interesting interesting elements. I thought the use of like the car uh, with the with the screaming family in it was kind of a fun uh. a fun element. Uh, they're like battling over this car that ends up running over. Um, no, I know. Tony. <laughs> That's the funniest uh, part. And the yeah, it sort of um, struck me as odd or just unrealistic that like this reactor blowing up would destroy Jeff Bridges character but like Tony Stark was fine like he's like he's well, like on the edge of it and it blows up around him and his face is exposed and yet he's not like horribly burned or anything well it blew him to safety right without burning him at all yeah the way explosions do. Yeah, they just move your body. They don't tear it apart or anything. Right. Yeah, no, he's actually he's closer to the explosion than Jeff Bridges is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a completely unrealistic moment. I think you just kind of have to look past it because I I have no good explanation for it. Yeah. Like he should have just been like a headless corpse after that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like the suit's fine, but his head is vaporized. Right, right. I will say, as much as I enjoy the climax of this, as in my enjoyment of the entire movie being pretty consistent, um, another part of the Marvel template, maybe a less good one, is that after this, there started to be a bit of a problem with uh, the final fight or the final villain just being a dark mirror of the hero doesn't always happen but uh, there are a lot of marvel films where this is the case and it makes for a slightly less interesting fight sequence like you say you've seen black panther i think that's a perfect example of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah where killmonger is uh you know just in a different black panther suit right right yeah i mean it's sort of in this movie it's the 
the larger, sort of grittier, yeah, more more evil looking suit. Yeah, it is sort of oh. just two sides of the same coin. Yeah, or you know, even if it's a dark mirror, it's like a bigger version of the the good guy. Right. Yeah. Um, there is one cool part earlier, um, and this is a nice piece of directing, I think, from John Favreau, which is when Pepper Potts and the Shield agents come to try and arrest him. That first part where they're looking for him feels a little bit like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, totally. it's very. Uh, they're split up. It's and... kind of spooky. Yeah, especially where she's. Um, you get the the shot from behind the the hanging chains that he ends yeah, up and, uh, being uh, hidden hidden behind. And in shadow, you know, and you get just like the the light of the eyes coming on mm-hmm. where he's obscured the rest of the way. Those hanging chains, too. The hanging chains and the dripping water all. I don't know if it was on purpose. I would assume it was, but it's very reminiscent of Alien in a scene in that movie where a guy is in a room with a lot of these uh, hanging chains prior to the alien. It's the first time it's revealed in its full adult form to kill someone. Oh, okay. I assume they're consciously uh, homaging that moment, and it works very well. It, it creates a very tense scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what Pepper was was gonna do when when she found him though. It was kind of, she was kind of out of place there, like unarmed, just like walking around in heels, looking for the right. bad guy. Well, she had no idea that the bad guy was gonna turn out to be someone in a super suit. She just thought it was gonna be like sixty five year old Jeff Bridges, you know, yeah. like nothing to worry about there. Yeah, but true. Then he was in a super suit. Yeah. So, womp womp. Um. Well, and that brings us to the end of the movie, which I think is one of the best parts of it. The fact that the last line of this movie is Tony Stark getting up in front of all these reporters and saying, I am Iron Man. Absolutely. Cut to the end. I love that, too, because um, when he was given the the alibi story by the by the shield agent, um, you know, you were on your yacht, blah, blah, blah. You weren't involved. I was a little disappointed that this was going to become another superhero with a hidden identity. Yep. And I was like, ah, crap. Like, you know, that, that has kind of been done so many times. I'm glad that he decided to just own it and be public with yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, prior to this, I don't think I'd ever known of a superhero who was out in terms of their identity. It was a first for me. And I was interested yeah, to see that, point. you know? Yeah, that's a it good was point. Different. I mean, everybody is usually, they have their, their alter ego. And the protecting of that alter ego is the source of so much of their, like, stress, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, having his identity known does cause problems for Iron Man in some of the later films, not to spoil anything, but, like, there are both legal and villain-related issues that come from being out like that. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a, a fun move to make, and it, it sets him apart, makes it different. I appreciate it. And also, I mean, great to go out on a laugh. Yeah, big time. Yeah, it was a nice, yeah. it was a nice way to end it. Yeah, totally. And thank God... Thank God they finally said, "Just call me, just call it Shield," because every time they they said the name of that organization, 
I like from the first time I, I spelled it out and I was like, oh, it's it's shield. Just say shield. Like you have you have the acronym right there. And I assume I don't know anything about the Marvel universe, but I have heard of Agents of Shield. So I assume this is another uh, not Easter egg, but at least sort of connecting the the through lines in this in this universe. It is, yeah, you, you are correct in that. Um, but uh, it is nice the way that comes together at the end, where you know you wrote it down, but um, when they say it out, it's so long that you don't necessarily put all those dots together hearing it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so having him come out at the end being like, "Just call a shield," you know, all the comics kids can just be like, "Ooh, it's shield." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that actually. Uh, leads us nicely into this very last piece of the Marvel formula that uh, gets established in this movie, which is the post credit stinger scene. Indeed. Did you know Sam Jackson was part of it? Uh, part of this universe? Yeah. No, I, I didn't. And I was pleasantly surprised to, to hear his voice in shadowed profile. I didn't, I didn't expect <laughs> him at all. Yeah. He is, uh, he is the director of shield. And he's the dude who kind of ties all of these disparate uh, heroes together. Uh, the Avengers initiative that he mentions is the idea he has to get all the superheroes together into one big team. So mm. nice. everyone nice. who stayed behind could get really excited to think, oh, maybe someday they'll make an Avengers movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they... Um at this point are setting up the future so much, you know, to, to I, whatever, 20, 20 films to come after this, you know, they're, yeah, they're sort of already starting the, the breadcrumb trail. Right. Well, you know, nowadays it's such a given that there's going to be at least one stinger scene that sets up a, an approaching movie that you take it for granted but at the time, first of all, no, not everyone was expecting that to be there. And also, you know, there weren't all these plans in place to do this. So it was more just kind of an actual stinger where it's like, oh, yeah, maybe if this movie does well, you know, something to look forward to someday, you know? Yeah. It was so exciting, you know, that first time, the, the thought that they were thinking about this and like dangling it out there as a possibility, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's not just a given that that it's going to be some huge franchise. Right. It's a real, it's still a a question mark. Yeah, and that made it very, very exciting. You know, that that first time. Ah, remembering your first time. (laughs) You remember the first time you ever saw a stinger scene? (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I've never heard that phrase before. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was called a stinger scene. Oh yeah. Um, well, I I think I read it somewhere. I could even be using it wrong for all I know, but feels feels appropriate. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how, about the response to this movie. Uh, it currently has a ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Some of the reviews go like this. Uh, Todd McCarthy of Variety said. It is an expansively entertaining special effects extravaganza with fresh energy and stylistic polish. Frank Lovelace of Newsday lauded the film's emotional truth, pitch-perfect casting, totally, 
and plausibly rendered super science that made it faithful to the source material while updating it and recognizing what's made that material so enduring isn't just the high-tech cool of a man in a metal suit, but the human condition that got him there. Oh, so true. That's totally true, yes. Yeah. And then uh, A.O. Scott of the New York Times called the film an unusually good superhero picture, or at least since it certainly has its problems, a superhero movie that's good in unusual ways. Hmm. And again, I think that goes to what we were talking about before, where while Marvel is formulaic now at the time, this kind of like fun, funny, lighthearted type of superhero movie was kind of new and fresh and exciting. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, a step in in a good direction, I think. Uh, and Roger Ebert called it one of the best films of 2008. So good on him for recognizing that. Yeah. On the negative side, Kirk Honeycutt of the Hollywood reporter, uh, praised the film, but said, um, he had some disappointment in a climactic battle between Iron Man prototypes. Uh, how did Tony's nemesis learn how to use the suit? Good point. Yep. He just kind of hopped in. Yeah. And then this is a little interesting. Cristobal Giraldez Catalan of the Bright Lights Film Journal said, Iron Man is far more than Playboy fantasy. It is American foreign policy realized without context and with narrative and directorial precision once again provides the high fidelity misogyny and anti-Muslim rhetoric Hollywood is known for. Yeah, fair point. I don't know. I mean, so for misogyny, Pepper Potts, like we said, is a little thinly sketched, but I wouldn't say that she's any kind of, like, misogynistic character. I guess you could say uh, that reporter character who he seduces and the way those flight attendants are treated. I mean... You know, it's what you brought up earlier, the fact that nowadays some of that might not be quite so, you know, well thought of if you made characters like that in a current movie. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the... All the female characters are highly sexualized. I mean, aside from Pepper Mm -hmm. Potts, I mean, she's not... She's not hypersexualized like the other characters are. But she's like the Madonna half of the Madonna whore thing, right? Where she's the, like, reliable girlfriend material. Yeah, and I mean, there, there are a lot of powerful men in this film, and she is, she is probably the the most intelligent and most powerful female character. And she is basically a personal assistant. Right. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't pass the Bechdel test. What's that? So the Bechdel test. Yeah. That is, um, a kind of checklist for establishing how a movie treats women characters. Uh, there's three steps. So they are, um, and this is named after Alison Bechdel, who created it as part of a graphic novel called Fun Home. But um, the three steps are, is there more than one female character who has a name? So, you know, Pepper Potts, as opposed to stewardess number one, stewardess number two, or even like grandma, right? Mm. Do those two female characters share a scene and talk to one another? And that does not happen. I don't think... Or there, there are um, brief lines exchanged between Pepper and the reporter character, I guess. But then step three is, 
if the two female characters converse with each other, do they talk about anything besides a man? Right. Yeah. So the only and scene I, that they have with each other, there, there is Pepper kicking the reporter out of the house and talking about Tony. Right. So yeah, this movie doesn't really pass it, and a lot of movies don't. Uh, if you go back through basically every movie you've ever seen, very few of them will pass the Bechdel test. It's not a perfect way of looking at things, but it is kind of a quick and dirty way to check and see, you know, are there good female roles in this film mm-hmm. or more than one? Anyway, plenty of movies will have a female character, but like just the one. Right. Right. So, yeah. Um, about the anti-Muslim rhetoric, the 10 rings group is not, expressly Muslim, but they're very clearly like stand-ins and analogs for a Taliban-esque. Taliban-esque, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do get them portrayed as mostly being aggressive towards other Muslim characters. You know, it's not like they're all attacking America and white people the way that like you get in, say, uh, what's the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, True Lies? Yeah. Where it's like, you know, oh, they're threatening us, you know, these horrible, exotic, foreign bad guys. But at the same time, you know, you do get the thing where it's up to superhero white guy Tony Stark to save them. Mm-hmm. So. Right. They're not capable of, of defending saving themselves. themselves. Yeah, yeah. They need the I, white knight. I actually thought that it was, uh, that there was a, a slant more towards the, um, like, anti American you know, Taliban-like terrorist group when they were shooting the video toward the beginning of him, Mm -hmm. of his capture, you know, I thought it would be like uh, death to America. We've captured your, 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 you know, your powerful industrialist, but that ended up not being, you know, the motivation for that video. So, you know, they did sort of hint toward that, you know, that style, but it ended up being uh, a different thing in the end. Yeah. And you also have to look at the movie within the context of 2008, where we were still like, when we were still at war in Afghanistan, unlike now. But to be serious, like, it was a much hotter conflict and it was much more present on everyone's mind. So, absolutely. And, yeah. and I think there was less, um, there was less sensitivity toward anti Muslim rhetoric back then. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't as well recognized, I think, as being a negative, a negative right. thing. Right. Although, you know, maybe less well recognized, but at the same time, this is uh, an era nowadays where you can go on TV and say things. You know, back then it was a lot of dog whistles. Nowadays, a lot of what people say ain't even bothering with the dog whistle, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well... Anyway, on that upbeat note, Brian, <laughs> yes. let's talk about your final thoughts about Iron Man and what you thought of this movie. What did you think, dude? I thought it was highly enjoyable, had had nice character arcs, was interesting to look at and very entertaining. I don't... I wouldn't say it was, you know, it wasn't a revelation. I don't feel like I really learned anything or that I'm necessarily a better person for it. Um, Hmm. but not all, not all movies have to be that. 
you know, sometimes right. it can just be a, a couple of hours of, of enjoying something, which I definitely did. Um, cool. And and I'm glad uh, I'm glad that it's part of uh, that I'm aware of this sort of part of the culture now. And who knows, I might even might even watch more of these Marvel Universe movies now. Yeah, well, there's a lot of them, so you'll have your work cut out for you if you decide to try and climb that mountain. Yeah, give me a couple years, and then I'll be able to understand what Infinity War is about. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, man. In episode 210 of Better Late Than Never, we'll finally get you on for Infinity War. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess that brings us down then to the final key question of this podcast. But let me set it up for you a little bit. Brian, was this movie better late or never? With the idea being that it is better late and that there is something essential about the film in terms of what you got out of it and that you're glad to have it under your belt and it's important for you going forward in terms of your cultural awareness. Or is it never the idea being that you know what? If I never saw this movie for the rest of my life, nothing lost. You know, when you put it like that, I'll say that even though I enjoyed it, I will have to say never. Because, like I said, I don't think it really propels anything forward for me. Like, I I don't think I learned anything. I don't think I'm different. I don't think uh, there's no before and after for me. Mm-hmm. after seeing this movie so in that sense i'm the same now as if i had never seen it interesting yeah i suppose that makes sense the only thing i was thinking of was it's sort of back towards when you're just giving your general review where i thought because marvel and the marvel films are such an omnipresent and huge part of the culture i wondered if having seen this film and gotten a little more insight and understanding into that it maybe would be a better late because now you can talk a little bit more about such a huge part of the culture. But at the same time, you are correct. There's nothing about this film that, you know, you necessarily need if you're not concerned about that Marvel conversation, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm concerned about the, the conversation, but, you know, you, you bring up a good point that now... I wonder if part of the reason why I haven't seen a lot of these films is because I never, I, I didn't ever start the sequence, mm. you know? So now it's like, oh, well, if I'm looking for something to watch, now I can dip into that pool a little bit and, you know, right. watch an Iron Man 2 or uh, an Avengers or what, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, if you ever want someone to watch them with you, I love those <laughs> movies. So give me a call. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's it's been fun. Hopefully I'll get you back for Captain America 3 Civil War. (laughs) Not anytime soon, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, man. Well, catch you next time. All right. Bye.